This is Christoph Lüneburger, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Christoph Lüneburger, uh, and uh, I work for Egon Zender, which is uh, an executive search and management uh, assessment firm. Um, uh, and within Egon Zender, I founded the sustainability practice uh, some uh, six years ago now, uh, which, uh, which we now have grown into a market leading position. Uh, so what I do is basically help our clients, companies, uh, not-for-profits, align talent and strategy. Hmm. And you're being very humble author of the awesome book, uh, A Culture of Purpose, How to Choose the Right People, and Make the Right People Choose You. And it's a subtitle that really sort of in intrigued me, because I think it's, it's one thing to, to, pick, um, to pick talented people. It's a whole other thing to uh, shape an entire culture that is very purpose-driven, and then only kind of have people who are interested in that self-select. You know, we, we hear, I know Amazon just started this, but we hear little things about Zappos and Amazon paying people to quit, but it's a lot more complicated than that to really build and, and hire out for a culture of purpose. Let's, let's talk about, let's, let's take it a step at a time first. Let's talk about this word purpose that you see. I think a lot of people throw this word around and don't really understand what a real difference having a company that has this culture of purpose looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, for the purposes of, of our conversation, I would define purpose as uh, the sum of two things. The first thing is your handprint, and and by that I mean the opposite of your footprint, meaning not minimizing the effects of what you're doing uh, that that are you know I don't know used material or recycling stuff or whatever, but rather the the reason why you're there. Um, so if uh, you know if in Patagonia, uh, a lot of your purpose has to do with bringing people out into nature and allowing them to experience that. If you're you know if you're if you're Ford, uh, then your purpose has to do with transporting people. Your purpose is, is the reason why it exists. It's your handprint, and you wanna and you wanna figure out what what that is and maximize that. Um, and and the second component is audacity, uh, and that is basically saying what what kind of things can we be doing to really make the most of this. So we, if you think about people like, you know, like Toms that have a, a certain purpose, but but then the audacity to say, okay, how do we scale the thing that we're really good at to benefit the maximum number of people or environments or whatever you, however you define your, your broadest set of stakeholders? I, I think I, there's two things that are quite interesting there. One, one, I love the audacity idea because it's the ones that have that element of audacity. There's a lot of companies that have uh, a handprint, but not a lot that have one that you actually sort of can visibly remember. The other thing I think about is... You know, I, I was trained in B school, or actually, I never went to business school, but the irony is I teach in one now. But we always talk about, isn't isn't the purpose of a company, isn't the purpose uh, to make a profit, to maximize shareholder value? Where, where does that come into play? No, it isn't. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, a, that's a very, so that is not the purpose of the company. That if, if a company has its purpose and does it well, it will in fact be profitable. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's an effect, just like growth. Growth is a terrible would be a terrible metric to make a primary metric. If you said we want to grow 5% every year, that becomes the master of your organization. That, uh, that's great if you're a cancer, but it's not particularly effective if you actually want to be you know, an organization. So, so the purpose is, is not the reason why your organization exists. Oh, sorry, the, the, the profit is not the reason why it exists. The profit is what happens if you do your purpose well. 
Mm, you no, know, I, I, I'll admit it was a bit of a softball question. I knew your answer because I read the book. But we're also kind of huge fans of that, that this idea of it's just about the profit. A profit is an outcome. A profit is is a result of doing everything else right. And it starts with that idea of purpose. So how do we let's let's start with actually building out this culture of purpose. We know that it has these two elements. But what does that look like day to day from trying to build this culture of purpose? Yeah, so it depends, obviously, a lot on where you come from. Um, uh, you know, some companies have been built with the idea of purpose at their core, they, they just that's why they exist and they always have been that way. Um, I, I mentioned a moment ago Patagonia and, and while Patagonia has had all kinds of very interesting iterations uh, along its history, the fact is uh, embedded in its DNA from the very beginning was a purpose. Um, uh, and most companies actually start out with it, but some, uh, because along the way they become Public, they start thinking about quarterly, you know, earnings and profits and so forth. They, it becomes a bit muddled. So, so it depends on where you start uh, and how big the gap is between that and where you want to get to to figure out what the what the right next steps are. But, you know, one of my one of my favorite stories that I that I really uh, was able to spend a lot of time on uh, in writing the book was uh, Chrysler. How Chrysler was taken over uh, by Fiat by Sergio Maggione in, in, in the midst of the worst, arguably the worst period of its history. And how, in a very short time period, he reinstilled a real, a real culture and and, re, and reminded people why they were there, what the purpose was, and a lot of the, the things that he did, they were very simple. Uh, you know, they were they had to do with how he selected leaders to really be on top of the organization, how how much autonomy he gave them, uh, and how he basically uh, rejected the notion of of hierarchy that had brought the organization to the point where it basically was no longer sustainable. Um, and that's a very drastic change. I spent last week, uh, the whole day, uh, Friday, with the CEO of American Standard. Uh, they make uh, fixtures, plumbing fixtures and toilets. And they have a huge program around Flush for Good where they're bringing latrines to the developing world, Bangladesh and so forth. He came in when the company was bankrupt and he turned around and, and he said the first thing on his 100-day plan wasn't cash flow, it wasn't work in progress, it wasn't any of the metrics you think of, it was what is our purpose? When you think about it, that's a pretty gutsy thing to say for a CEO of a company that is, you know, that doesn't have that much cash left on its on its balance sheet. Hmm. And I think, I think I love that you brought up those two examples because that's that's sort of where I, I I was going. I think we look at a lot of these companies like a Patagonia and a Tom's, and we say, well, yeah, that's great, but they started that way. But I love that. You know, your your work, your research shows it is actually possible to do this in a company that's sort of adrift in quarterly reports and looking at, at just one bottom line and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it, it takes, though, it takes the right leader. So what's the role of, you hinted it a little bit at, but what's the role of leaders? What do they do in shaping that culture if they have this turnaround situation? Yeah, so, so there's a couple there's a couple ways to answer that. I mean, one, the first part of, of, of the book, A Culture of Purpose, that, that I wrote talks about what are the competencies of leaders and think of competencies as you know as, as muscles that you can flex and build over time so there are things like how good are you at influencing others how good are you at leading change how strategically minded are you and those are things that you by and large can train if you spend some time at a at McKinsey or, or Bain or BCG or one of those places you will you know become a better strategic thinker uh, if you train yourself to become a better influencer you will in fact do that uh, and so there, these are things we can test for, and and the best leaders have really distinct spikes in, in those competencies. Um, but but I think that the more, I guess, the more philosophical answer to the question is that the kinds of leaders that do this well are very courageous around one specific thing, and that is that they are very good at rejecting 
the very hierarchy that often propelled them to the through the position that they're in. And what I mean by that is that uh, in a true culture of purpose, the ones that we've seen and, and work with, um, a lot of the really cool stuff doesn't happen at headquarters. It doesn't happen in the boardroom. It happens at the frontiers of the organization, in the storerooms, you know, in the, in the trucks that drive to the destinations where customers are, and so forth. And and so what that means is you have to give a lot of autonomy to people that, you know, you might instead say, you know, you're reporting to that person, to that person, to that person, so work the chain. And instead you're saying, try some stuff. The purpose is a true north. You all, whatever you try, that's the direction you're going. But how you get there, the decision you're making on the ground, that's for you to do. And, and that, it takes, it takes guts for a leader to say, I'm willing to give you the autonomy uh, that I could enforce, uh, you know, being my own, because I want you to try stuff. Because what it means is that you're going to get lots of small failures throughout the organization, and you want those, because what you're buying for those many small failures is you're buying insurance against that one huge failure at the core, because you haven't been nimble, because you haven't innovated, because you've sort of done that one thing again and again and again with everybody just executing the play. I think it, it, it's. It's quite a challenge. That I think a lot of people aren't necessarily up to, and and to be to be honest, it's sad that we don't necessarily teach that. We're really good at teaching analysis in an organization. We're really good at teaching how do you crunch numbers and then make decisions just based on those sort of raw numbers. But having developing those competencies and understanding that role of purpose in it is is incredibly vital to meeting all of those numbers, whether you choose to pay attention to those numbers or you pay attention to that culture. Now, one of the things that really intrigued me about the book is the idea that. As you, I see this a lot of times in organizations. You may have started with a particular purpose, but as you grow and scale, you have a sort of mission drift. It can become a lot harder to, as new people come in, to make sure they're as excited about this purpose as possible. And and your book really addresses that: is how do we hire and how do we make people apply who are in line with our purpose? So, without giving away everything in the book, how do we do that? Well, what I'd say is that um, it, it's you can't. It's very hard to manipulate uh, the very best people. Meaning, they they won't they won't. The reason they will come to you is because your values speak to them. Um, so let me give you, I just mentioned American Standard. American Standard makes plumbing fixtures. It's not, you know, it's, it's not like going to Google. Uh, literally, you're talking about people that figure out how to make a better flushing toilet uh, or urinal or whatever, right? So few people wake up and say, gosh, that, you know, my life's calling is doing that. The guy, I spent a lot of time with a CEO, but I also spent a lot of time with the head of R&D who was a Princeton-educated PhD in, uh, in, in, in uh, chemistry. So he could have done lots of other things. He was a GE before. Um, but the point is they're getting some very good people because of this purpose. So, so I, think, I think the values, in effect, become, become your brand that, that where people say, I want to be part of this. This is exciting to me. I, I like what you're doing. And, and to your earlier point, Dave, you know, you're right. It isn't just a matter of you know how do you crunch numbers or figure out you know this analysis or that one. There's a term that I really love that describes that um, in the military called VUCA. Uh, have you heard of it? Yeah, the uh, volatile uncertainty CA. I always forget what the Com- CA is. Complexity, and, complexity, and ambiguity. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Those are the last two. And 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 I think you know the the entire the core thought behind that philosophy is that you cannot just you cannot just give someone a tool of five ways of thinking about a problem and then you say go out and do that thing. You, there's something called fluid intelligence of doing something in the field and, and people that have strong values uh, will want to apply that in a place where they can where they can you know play to their own strength and that's a place where they can live their purpose. If that happens to be you know building building plumbing fixtures and helping you know people in, uh, in Bangladesh and Africa, great, whatever that, wherever that leads you. 
So I, I guess my my last sort of question around the book would be uh, one of the things that I was thinking about a couple times as I read it is, do you have any advice if I'm not in one of those cultures of purpose, how I myself can, besides seeking out one of the ones you profile in the company and going to work for them, any advice for the people that are sort of in a purpose-less organization but may not have that senior leadership role to affect change? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a, really, it's a really great question. Um, I guess what I was most encouraged by in the book is that we have a, you know, I, look, I talked to, to a huge spectrum of companies from from seventh generation, which I think to your earlier point is a company that has purpose at its core, uh, to you know to some very large organizations. Chrysler is huge. Walmart is huge, right? Uh, Unilever, um, uh, and they had very there are different levels of this journey. But but what I was encouraged by is that the the seeds to building these cultures wasn't each of them; they existed in all of them. And so, I guess my view is that the the thing that CEOs really wake up and worry about is always the same question. And the question is this, how do I get the smartest, the most passionate, the best people to come work for me and help me navigate challenges that are only faintly visible to me? Uh, and, and so if you are if you are a person that falls in that category, if you are passionate and smart and you, you, have, you, have, you, know, you, have, you have passion for a topic, uh, it is it is unlikely that an organization will reject you for it. And said another way, if they will reject you for it, there are going to be lots of others who will gobble you up just because that, those, those traits are in short supply almost everywhere. No, I think solid advice. And again, that sort of it, it starts with you advice. I think I love uh, not not to steal one for you. I didn't see it in the book, but I, I love one of the things that uh, Steve Martin actually says about talent, which is just be so good they can't ignore you. And, yeah. then, and then they'll find you. They'll, they'll snatch you up. Well, the book, the book is awesome, A Culture of Purpose, How to Choose the Right People and Make the Right People Choose You. Christoph, I wonder if it'd be okay if we can switch from the book to you and ask you a couple questions. Sure. Um, I was especially wondering this, and I thankfully saw it in some of the end notes, but what are you reading right now as, as far as purpose, as far as uh, acquiring talent? What are you reading now? So I, I read, I'm reading several books uh, at the moment. I'm, I'm, re I'm rereading some stuff by Hunter S. Thompson, which isn't really about purpose at all. Uh, I don't know if you know Hunter S. Thompson. He was uh, a journalist. Um, but, but what's interesting about him is that he, uh, he certainly marched his own drum, but he also reinvented journalism in a way that hadn't ever been conceived by anybody against the pushback of lots of people. But, uh, but he, what, he was did, what, what he was doing was fundamentally good. And so he found, you know, he found a lot of traction. And he was wonderfully irreverent, which is something I, I love. Um, so, so I'm reading something by him. I'm reading uh, a book by Manfred Ketz de Vries, which is a, uh, which is a, a business professor at INSEAD. Uh, and that's a book really about influencing people and, and coaching them. Um, it's a collection of it's a collection of stories, um, uh, which is called the what's it called? It's called the Ouroboros. Um, gosh, it's it's three different animals. Uh, I, I, I the hedgehog, the Ouroboros, and and something else. I can't remember the third one. Um, uh, those are the two that are probably close to this. And the other stuff I'm reading is uh, is about uh, Arctic exploration and completely unrelated topics. I, I don't know about unrelated. I mean, it takes a strong uh, mission focus to to survive in an Arctic exploration scenario. I mean, look at look at how many lessons we've drawn out of uh, Ernest Shackleton, right? So it, yeah, it, that's it's right. all connected. <laughs> that's that's correct. So now you uh, you founded at Egon's Ender. You founded the firm Sustainability Practice. I'm wondering, kind of, what's next for you? What's next for uh, the firm? Where are you guys headed? Yeah, look. I mean, it's. Uh, I think uh, it, we're at an interesting point. Um, uh, the 
the war for talent has been talked about for you know a couple decades now, and there's in the beginning it was thought to be a bit of hyperbole, but it's without a doubt real. That that war is is real and it's substantial, and and you know we have I think enough evidence now to know that cultures of purpose are winning. They are getting the best people. You mentioned some of those companies that are you know so to speak paying people to quit. Um, they take it very seriously. Netflix has some great examples of how they're how they're thinking about people and, and making sure that they really have the very best. There are many others. Um, so I think I think our own evolution is going to uh, go beyond just uh, finding great people, which we do with executive search and assessing them, which we which we do also, and we do things like um, uh, board effectiveness reviews and so forth. But really, go into how do we help shape cultures? So let me give you a concrete example. We you know, when we get asked to find chief sustainability officers or board members to help companies on a journey to sustainability, we just closed one of those for an extractors company. Uh, and, and we have a more substantive dialogue around what is your objective? Why is it that you're looking for this role? Uh, you very quickly get to a point where you talk about the reality of where the company is today and, and, and the aspiration of where it would like to be. And the fact is that that gap between reality and aspiration uh, in many cases isn't a bridgeable, that's even a word, with a person. You don't just hire a person and you say, okay, well, you know, with that person we're, we're magically going to become, you know, X one today, we're Y. Um, because so much of, of the gap is cultural. It's literally about who are we as a company um, and what do we want to, how ready are we to be on this journey together. And so I think that part of what we'll do increasingly, we've begun doing this already with some of our clients, is help them uh, really more actively shape their culture and, and make sure that they're taking you know, the kinds of courageous decisions, the kind of courageous people decisions that will make them uncomfortable sometimes, you know, to bring in the people that will in fact stand up in a, in a, in a, uh, in a meeting, in a town hall meeting and, and drop the CEO and say, hold on for a second, that doesn't make sense, let's talk about that for a moment, right? And how do you create those cultures that are that open, that are that high energy and so forth, because those are the ones that uh, again and again are winning. I think that's where we're going to be doing a lot more work. Hmm. No, it's it sounds fascinating, and I think you're right. I think one of the misconceptions of that war for talent is, well, we'll just get a talented, the right person in there, and everything will magically take care of himself. And the data suggests otherwise that it's all it's about the environment that we put that person in, and whether or not there is synchronicity there that really allows that person to thrive. So we'll be keeping uh, an eye on that because it sounds absolutely fascinating. But in the meantime, I want to encourage our listeners to check out the book. A Culture of Purpose, How to Choose the Right People and to Make the Right People Choose You. Christoph, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Hey everybody, it's David from the Leader Lab Podcast. I just want to thank you for being a part of this community and for listening to this podcast episode. And I want to remind you that you can get even more content from us if you connect with us online. We're at Twitter, twitter.com slash LDRLB, Facebook, facebook.com slash LDRLB. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast in either iTunes or Stitcher, or just subscribe to our email newsletter and we'll email you every single time we post a new episode. Thanks so much for being a part of the community. Look forward to giving you even more great content.